Here's our series on aging in Portland. Retired or rewired? What it's like getting old in a youth-centered city. Are you up for that challenge? We'll bring you lots of views, but you'll have to answer this question for yourself. Is Portland a good place in which to grow old? Episode 7, Financial Issues for Elders. This is the seventh in KBU series on what it's like to age in Portland. We call it Retired or Rewired. Today we're talking with Rachel Molaire of Next View Loans, a division of Finance of America, LLC. Rachel, welcome to KBU. Thank you. Rachel, we're talking about housing. This is your specialty is financing related to housing. I'm concerned. I see a lot of value in housing but I see sometimes people without much cash living in housing, getting older, and not sure what to do. Can you help us think through how elderly folks who are retired can use the value in the homes that they live in in order to improve the quality of their lives? Absolutely. And that is, you know, it is really what I care about is right there in the middle of that. How are we going to house ourselves as we get older? And especially in the context of so many people really not having much money at all. That's really the truth of it. There's a lot of talk about the booming economy, but it's not happening for older adults living on Social Security. Your home, the home is the biggest asset for most people. But if you're short on cash, there are really only a few ways that you can use that home. One of them is to rent space, and I want to talk about that in some depth. Take in some tenants. Convert your house to a partly a rental property. Right. The other things that you can do is you can sell the house. Great, now you've got cash, but you still have to live somewhere. And especially in this really intense real estate market, that's a really scary issue for a lot of people. A lot of people are effectively frozen because of it. And then people who might have gone into apartments, that's out of control too. So a lot of people who would have gone to apartments or might have gone to condos are simply frozen because of the market. So you can sell your house. That's one way to get cash. There are two other things. One people think of is that they'll just get a line of credit. In banking terms, that's a home equity line of credit. But the fact is, when you're older, you probably cannot qualify for them. And that's what most people don't realize. And that's because they're adjustable rate. And we have all heard that term. But what it means, long story short, is in order for a lender to give you a line of credit on your home, they have to be able to look at your finances and see that if it adjusted up as high as it could go, you can make those payments. And often people simply can't. So that just falls off the list as an option. So a, a bank or a lending institution looking for somebody on a line of credit would say, well, where's your income? Is that right? That's exactly right. And the potential rental income that you're thinking you're going to get from that property is not going to be enough to convince the bank that they can lend to you. They want two years of documentation that you've already done it. So if you're looking for money to modify it so it's really going to work for other people, like adding bathrooms. Right, bathroom, kitchen. It's all upside down. They aren't going to give you the money to do that. That leaves you really, you know, two options. One is a personal loan on your house from someone, which is as rare as hen's teeth. And the other is what I do, which is home equity conversion mortgage lending. It's also known as reverse mortgage, but it's a home equity conversion mortgage. It is the only option in most situations. It's intensely regulated. It's not accessible to everyone. People still have to have a financial review because if they can't pay, if they don't have enough income one way or another to pay their taxes and insurance, they're not going to qualify for that loan either. However, there are some caveats about that I can touch on. But basically what it means is you have to be 62 years or older 
and in that age bracket, you can access a certain percentage of the equity of your house. If you, whatever amount is available to people, it's regulated, it's based on their age, it's based on the value of the house. They'll have that money available. The first thing it has to do is pay off any mortgage you have on the house. So if you have a lien or a mortgage, that has to go away, which then relieves you of those payments. And sometimes that's all people want. They just want out from under the payments. Otherwise, they have access to some cash. They can take it as a line of credit, which actually is a growth rate. They can take it as cash or they can take it as payments. So I recently helped a gal. She came to a presentation I was part of about rethinking housing, which is about shared housing, which I'm a huge, passionate advocate of. And sort of long story short, she's, she's 80 years old. She lives in Oregon City. She has a cute little house and it's single level living. I always look at that. If I go out and work with people, I'm not going to encourage them to take a mortgage to, to live in a house that is really unsafe for them. So there's a piece. Her house was good. Solid little house. She wanted to rent a room, which I, and I connected her with Metro Home Share, which you're going to be doing an interview about. And this is how it laid out for her. She had a pension. She had Social Security. But she was dipping into her retirement funds every month. So what we did is she qualified for a mortgage. Her house appraised higher than we hoped, so it was great. And here's what she ended up with. She wanted some cash. She took cash out to buy hearing aids and to do a trip with a friend who is dying. So she took out that money. She also set herself up for payments, monthly payments for the rest of her life to supplement her income. About $780 a month is how it worked out, guaranteed for the rest of her life. And then she had left over a chunk of money that sits in a line of credit with a growth rate of about 6% so that when she needs a new roof or she needs a paint job or whatever she needs, she has a, a little growing pad. At 80 years old, she was able to access around 60% of the equity in her home. The way it's set up right now at age 62, you can ask access about 40%. And then as you get older, more is available to you. So that was a great success. She got a roommate in there. She's got company. She's got eyes on her. She can still drive. The house is secure. She's got community who pay attention to her. Perfect scenario. I have met um, a few women up in North Portland through a really lovely church up there. And these women are living on $600 a month in houses that are easily worth half a million dollars in one case, maybe more because of the location. The other one I would guess is probably 400000 The second one I mentioned is a total fire hazard. It's a total trip hazard. It's an old Victorian. This gal is alone with wires running everywhere because the furnace quit working long ago. And she's kind of frozen. She isn't sure what to do. She owns another house free and clear, but her grandson lives there and pays nothing. And if she sold the house, she said he'd be in a tent on the street. She doesn't have the stomach for it. The other woman who lives on 600 a month, her son lives upstairs. His back is injured. He's depressed. He doesn't contribute anything. She could sell that house in a nanosecond, or she could take out the home equity conversion mortgage and really fix that thing up so that there's a space for another renter, there's a space for a small family. Older folks, even people in their 70s and 80s, can end up with a responsibility to take care of a, a child or a grandchild. And that becomes part of their dilemma or their decision framework. It's really prevalent, and it is hard. Let me touch on another thing here that just popped into my head while we were talking, which is that, so in the instance of both of these women up in North Portland, those homes are not well-suited for aging bodies. Um, I think you interviewed Alan Delatore, and he uses this phrase, Peter Pan housing. I'll never grow up. I can climb stairs forever. But it's not true, right? So something people can think about, and this is really not known about, is you can use a home equity conversion mortgage to purchase a more suitable house. So I just did this with a couple down in Corvallis, so I'll tell that story. 
um, they sold their house that was kind of a remodeled part of the house was 1915 and part of it was 1980. They sold their house. They cleared however much it was. Let's just call it 400000 just for easy math. They found a house that's really well suited to them, single level, smaller in this particular case, but it still cost them around 300000 Well, using this product to purchase, they were able to put half down on the $350,000 house, right? So they put a hundred, the $300,000 house, they put 150000 down. They took the home equity conversion mortgage to cover the other half. So now they have a $300,000 house with no payments. Because this is a mortgage, even though they have a mortgage on it, the big difference between this mortgage and any other FHA-insured regulated mortgage that anybody uses anytime is the terms. And the terms are, it's designed to be paid back when you sell the house. You own the house. It's your house. You have occupancy. You own it just like I own a house with a mortgage on it. When you sell the house, you pay off the mortgage. I just sold my house. First thing that happened is I paid off the mortgage. It's exactly the same. But you don't make payments, so you can effectively buy a house at half price experientially, have no payments. And then this couple has that leftover 250000 from the sale of their first house to put towards their retirement, which they're shy on. So wait a minute. The um, I get I, I, I buy a house, a $300,000 house. I put $150,000 down. I don't have to make payment on the other 150000 Exactly. Got to pay and taxes more, and insurance. What happens? Who's making that payment or how's that happening? That is covered by the home equity conversion mortgage. So it's a mortgage. It's just like the house that I just owned. I had a, I owed a, you know, 200000 on my mortgage, and then the rest of that equity was mine when I sold. It's the same thing. The difference is I had to make payments on my mortgage. You take out a mortgage, it's still an FHA mortgage, but you don't make payments. So over time, the debt grows, and it accrues against all of that equity that's still in your house. So your equity is getting a little bit smaller, and your loan is getting a little bit larger. It's all federally regulated. You get monthly statements. You can always see right where you are. And many, 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 many times, I would say most of the time, people go to sell the house. There's still equity left. It's not, there's this myth that it goes to the bank, but it does not. You own it. But if you, if you die, the house would be taken by the bank? Nope. If you die, the loan is due. So your heirs would then have the, they could refinance and keep the house if they wanted to. I see. Or they can sell it and pay off the mortgage. And only people, elderly people can get this kind of loan. Is that right? 62 and up. It was designed for older adults. Exactly. Uh, Specifically to help people financially. And I kind of collect people as much as I can who are thinking about how do you modify a house for the least amount of money to really make it workable for the most number of people. I'm really intrigued with people who can think that way. The, the way these loans are set up, so I mentioned earlier, if you're 62, you can get 40% of the income of your property. Well, if your property's worth $4 million, you're not going to get a million dollars. There's a cap on how much value in a house you can loan to in terms of a percentage, and it's 679500 or something around there. So to a certain degree, wealth in relation to the house is not that big of a deal. You either qualify or you don't financially. There are some uh, increments in that. So for instance, you might find somebody who has very little income, but they owe nothing on the house 
and they're old enough that they can access a substantial amount of money, well, that can be looked at and kind of amortized out to enable them to get a loan in some situations. Sometimes it will be required that some of that money be held aside to cover what's called a life expectancy set aside to cover the taxes and insurance to make sure that person's not going to default and lose their home. And sometimes you might opt for that. I've told people, I've encouraged people to just set it up. Then you don't have any payments and you aren't responsible for the taxes and insurance and you're not going to default on your loan. And I have good friends who have had to leave this town who did not want to and have gone places where they know one person in a harsher climate because they just can't afford it, which is why I'm such an advocate of share your house. There's lots of older adults, especially women, banging around in big ranch-style homes with three bedrooms they haven't looked at in years and extra bathrooms. And they need support and coaching and help to be able to get over those fears and make that house really work safely for them and other people. You're... A lender, or you work with a lot of lenders, are, do they treat elderly people fairly? Are they friendly with elderly? Do they want to make these loans? You know, I think the majority of lenders who are not doing these home equity conversion mortgages, it's just not their market. So to the degree that they deal with people who have income, and yeah, I mean, I think they're, we're, we're all really regulated. I think by and large, they do their job and do a good job and do what's there. But for people for whom these loans are really their choice, not necessarily a loan of last resort. They don't have to be desperate. They can be just proactive and want to modify the house or have a line of credit sitting there. A lot of people came into this industry from just being lenders. And so they sold liar loans and they just provided whatever loans were out there. And back in the heyday when it was built right into the actual design of lending to hose the American public. I see it in the training. It was built in. It was encouraged. And people come from that side of the business and, you know, I can't speak for it. Another scenario that I work with uh, fairly often is people where you've got a couple, one of them gets ill, the other one maybe has to stop er working early, and now they've got a shortfall, and they've still got a substantial mortgage, and they're just getting, they're starting to dig into retirement they had no intention of doing yet. And so these mortgages can be great for getting them out, out from under those payments. You just make that mortgage go away. It's, you're refinancing it with a loan that you don't have to make payments on. You still have a mortgage, you just don't have to make payments. We are dealing with the new longevity. We live a long time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people planned well, did everything right, and the cost of living grew up around their ears, and they just, this is a good thing to, to avail themselves of. And the uh, National College of Financial Planners is now instructing financial planners to recommend people look at this. So it is becoming really uh, mainstream recognized as a piece of legitimate financial planning for anybody. You want to add some qualifications to this? Yes. So it's important that I take a minute to tell you, tell your listeners, that I'm a mortgage loan officer. That's what I'm called. So I'm licensed the highest licensing standards of the country. My NMLS number is 1502-324. I have to say that. I work with NextView Loans, uh, local brokerage, really fabulous people. They were born and raised here. And we are a division of Finance of America Mortgage, LLC, and they have an NMLS number, too. Don't, I'm not going to go into what that means, of 1071. We're licensed in Oregon. We're in Washington and California by the Department of Business Oversight and also under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act, big mouthful, and the Equal Credit Opportunity Act. Uh, uh, listeners, we're not promoting this company or any other company specifically. We're talking with Rachel about her expertise in this kind of lending and I think it's useful. So take uh, everything with a grain of salt. Get the professional help you need. 
carefully review every possibility, but there is value, and you need may need a way to discover it, uncover it, and work with it. Rachel Moller, thanks so much for joining us today on KBU. You are welcome, and thank you, Tom. The reverse equity mortgage sounds like a great idea and very useful in some situations that elderly people face. And Rachel seems like a community-oriented broker who has a broader purpose in what she does. But listeners should keep in mind that the finance industry is notorious and there are people in situations that we have to avoid. Here's Chaz Horner, a lawyer in Eugene who specializes in public benefit law, talking about things to watch for in reverse equity mortgages and in credit lending in general. Chaz, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. We are interested in various aspects of financing related to people, elderly people using credit, especially with respect to reverse equity mortgages. When I spoke with you about this, you you pointed out that the equity mortgages really have the same kinds of issues of potential consumer fraud as other aspects of lending. They're not necessarily bad in themselves, uh, although they just you just need to be careful. What are the things that arise in your experience when uh, dealing with these kinds of loans? Yes. Well, uh, throughout the consumer finance industry, uh, there are many actors who make their money by selling very expensive loans to people who may not be in a position to recognize that the loans are expensive. Uh, we saw this uh, a number of years ago with uh, the subprime mortgage crisis, and uh, we still see it every day with things like high-interest credit cards, uh, payday loans, and these kinds of things where uh, you have marketing that is often targeted at uh, people who have uh, limited means, uh, those who are most likely to need short-term loans or uh, or to need consumer finance uh, in general just to get by, uh, these folks are very often targeted with misleading advertising that uh, emphasizes how easy it is to get the money and really ignores you know, the high cost of getting these funds. And even in uh, a market where there are a variety of uh, financial instruments available, really what you see is uh, the, the least attractive instruments being marketed most aggressively towards uh, those who are most vulnerable. And that would include the elderly, I would think. Absolutely. And, and that's uh, uh, where the reverse mortgage uh, issue comes in, because you have this segment of the population who very often have had uh, a number of years of drawing down their savings. And uh, they may be looking at this uh, house as uh, their last major asset and think, gosh, if it's that easy, why not go ahead and convert it into easy cash if it uh, really is uh, such a great deal? What are the things that a, a consumer or buy a loan, someone taking out the, the uh, this kind of mortgage would have to be paying attention to that they might not see in the advertising? What are the the issues that they they need to be aware of? Well, one thing you see discussed a lot is the fees. Uh, obviously, in any kind of big transaction, there are going to be uh, fees. Any kind of mortgage, there there are going to be. Uh, things that have to be paid up front, closing costs, and uh, uh, whatever else the lender may require. The issue is that uh, with reverse mortgages, this industry simply must know that uh, the people that they are targeting uh, with this are going to be 
in a very poor position to be shrewd about how these fees are because uh, the reverse mortgage industry is by and large known for having uh, some of the highest fees in the industry, uh, much uh, often much higher than what you would see in the setting of an ordinary home equity loan. So uh, it, it, you really have to wonder um, what these companies are thinking. Are they intentionally trying to focus this on, on the elderly? And, and I think, you know, the, uh, the economics suggests the answer is yes. Would, with that in mind, Chaz, would it suggest that a, a person who's shopping for a reverse equity mortgage should uh, go and talk with more than one offer with that, uh, and then compare the fees, look at the total amount of the mortgage, and then say, well, your fees are 3%, and this other one is 1.5%. Would that be the way to do it? That is certainly part of the strategy. Um, you always want to uh, shop around and compare. And uh, certainly, if there are uh, trusted resources that folks already know of as far as uh, finding trusted referrals for other things like insurance and other financial products, these folks may be the ones you want to uh, ask as far as finding uh, more advantageous deals on uh, reverse mortgages, both in terms of the fees, as you mentioned, and then uh, generally the interest rates as well. Uh, because part, obviously, of the uh, high cost of uh, doing these kinds of things is not just the fees, but uh, if uh, folks are getting uh, a rate on the funds that is higher than what they might otherwise be able to get on a home equity loan, for example, that's just money lining the lender's pockets. There's uh, there's no good reason for folks to be paying a higher interest rate on these kinds of loans uh, than they would for any ordinary home equity loan. So you've got to compare the fees and the interest rate. Um, on this type of loan, would an interest rate be a variable rate or a fixed rate or what? Well, it could be anything, but I, the nature of these things is that they tend to be variable rate. Um, that's partly because uh, under many reverse mortgages, the money is getting paid out at different times and, and the lenders sort of want to uh, index it to the then current rates. But uh Really, it's uh, just a way to further conceal uh, what can be a very costly uh, transaction in the long run, uh, especially if you have like a teaser rate that then uh, resets. We saw that obviously with uh, ordinary mortgages back in uh, 2008 and the years that followed. Uh, it's exactly the same kind of trap that folks can fall in with a reverse mortgage. Is there some way to make um, a fairly simple and direct comparison of one loan versus another uh, that is using uh, fees or terms or uh, is there just some way to get to the bottom line of the value of a mortgage? Um, you know, it's not an easy way, I would say, because you can always get to the bottom line if you run all the numbers. The thing is that uh, these instruments are often so complicated, and the variation in uh, reverse mortgage arrangements is so wide that uh, you really wouldn't be able to tell at a glance. Uh, it's certainly uh, advisable um, if you have the time and the uh, resources to get a professional advisor, obviously, uh, uh, you know, an attorney or accountant uh, would potentially be in a position to evaluate these things. But then again, when people are looking at a reverse mortgage, that is oftentimes uh, when they are not uh, most prepared to be paying advisors for these kind of analyses. So I, I wish I could tell you there was an easy apples to apples comparison. But uh, the industry makes these things so complicated that it's very easy for them to sort of uh, conceal and, and obfuscate the qualities that make one reverse mortgage different from another. The best route might be to get another professional to look over your shoulder. 
I think that's very wise, and, and particularly if we're in a situation where we're looking at the reverse mortgage for anything other than sort of, well, using it as the last asset, let's say. Um, because if the purpose of getting the reverse mortgage is to, is to just sort of uh, change the income and, and kind of for lifestyle reasons, uh, then yes, maybe you do have the, the time and the luxury uh, to make sure that you're getting a really thorough analysis. I think on the flip side uh, is that some folks who uh, maybe have uh, spent down a lot of their other resources and are, are considering getting equity out of the house in order to uh, maintain independence in their later years, uh, it may not necessarily uh, make sense to pay a lot of advisors and do uh, uh, too much legwork. You just have to make sure you're uh, at least keeping your eyes open for, uh, for a decent deal and a trusted provider. Chaz, your expertise goes beyond uh, mortgages and um, reverse equity mortgages. You deal with credit uh, other types of credit issues. What are other things that um, older folks should be watching for in credit arrangements and relationships? Well, we have to remember that every offer of credit is not done for the purpose of making your life easier. It is done for the purpose of making sure that the lender can get as much money as possible uh, out of you for uh, making that deal. And whether it's a reverse mortgage or a credit card or a um, you know, a payday loan, uh, potentially in, in states that might allow that. It is a, a tactic very well uh, established in the industry. You make the loan seem easy, and you uh, mention only as much about the cost as the law requires you to. And you do it in the smallest print you possibly can at the bottom of the screen or uh, in, a, in really fast words at the end of the radio ad. So, you know, whether, uh, really regardless of whether it's uh, a loan, a reverse mortgage, credit card, even insurance products, um, it's just important to be very shrewd because the folks who are selling these things uh, know what they're doing, and their one goal is to make sure that they are uh, making as much money as possible off, uh, off the credit offer. So the offering may sound good, but you've got to get to the fine print, and you've really got to dig into the details of the thing. Part of what I do is advise people when they're getting close to the Medicaid time. And, uh, you know, if uh, if they're in that situation um, where all of the other uh, assets are gone, you know, frankly, I think there are a lot of good reasons to just sell the house in that scenario and, and use the money to pay for whatever kind of a living arrangement is going to make you most comfortable. And that's what I typically advise folks uh, when they get to that point. But as you point out, you know, if you've been in the house 50 years, maybe it makes sense to just, uh, you know, tap every cent to stay there every last second you can. Yeah. So the alternative is sell the house, put the $500,000 into a, a managed fund of some type, and you'll get a fixed income or you get some income from that um, uh, rather than rely on this mortgage thing. Right. Right. And, you know, it's kind of offering this uh, uh, this idea that uh, your house and you're staying in the house, but, uh, you know, really by the time uh, it's at that point, you know, folks may not have a whole lot of time left at home, and that's not a very easy sell for your audience. That's not obviously what uh, I'd be talking about first. But as a practical matter, uh, you know, we're we're really often not talking about a whole lot of years that people are uh, changing their lives. If they do get to the point where they do this reverse equity mortgage, but then they're only in their house for another year, don't they still get the full value of the remainder of the equity in the house when the sale takes place? Yeah, they're still going to take the proceeds. Where they get them is that. Uh, you know, obviously, any initial fees that have been rolled into the loan, you know, it's yeah. 
that first year payment. So, uh, you know, there may be some sticker shock as far as what is actually owed versus what was uh, paid out to them. And then um, in that scenario, they sell the house, then they've got uh, this cash problem that if uh, if they were thinking about going on Medicaid, uh, then, you know, there's still that, uh, there's still that issue to deal with. Um, you know, they may have to uh, roll those funds into some kind of Medicaid-compliant thing. And, and if there's uh, spouses involved, then, uh, you know, obviously it uh, – puts on a whole uh, additional layer but um yeah in the next episode we'll be talking with Katery walsh of the oregon state bar association on the new edition of the bar's legal guide for older adults don't miss it you've been listening to our series on aging in portland retired or rewired You can listen to any episode in this series or the entire series if you go to kboo.fm and look for the show under my name, Tom Flynn. Thanks for joining us today.